Assalamu alaikum. It's a pleasure to be here. This is my fifth trip into Saudi Arabia. Uh, as you can imagine, this is a country I, I very much enjoy to, to visit and I'm always keen to, to come back. Um, what I'm going to be lecturing about is about the fintech revolution. What's happening? Uh, how this fintech revolution is impacting the growth of uh, different economies and which is going to be the disruptive effects of, of fintech. Um, what you have in this slide is the valuation of Citigroup in blue and the number of clients of Citigroup. Citigroup was founded in 1820, more or less. Uh, that blue line is the amount of clients this US bank has had over its history. And is the fintech subsidiary of Alibaba. Alibaba is the Amazon in China. It was incepted three years ago. The red line is the number of uh, clients Alibaba has. And the red bar is the valuation of Alibaba. So Alibaba is worth today $150 billion. I think this graph illustrates what's going on. One company which is new is worth $150 billion, almost as much as the valuation of a bank which was incepted 200 years ago. Uh, I'm going to tell you what's going on behind this and which is going to be the impact. This is 1967, the introduction of the first ATM. Paul Volcker, who was the governor of the Fed, he said in 2009, the only financial innovation I found useful in my life is the ATM. Well, probably when he said this, he was right, because plenty of financial innovations at that time uh, were not uh, producing economic growth. Today, Mr. Volcker would be wrong, because today we have amazing financial innovations linked to fintech, and these innovations can be used to the good of countries and societies. So I'm going to be explaining in a few minutes what explains the revolution of fintech. Second, how fintech is disrupting the financial sector. Third, which is the impact in economic growth and development. Going into the first point, what you have in my left are the oldest written documents in the world. These are Babylonian documents. The, the discovery of writing is very much linked to the discovery of finance. The oldest writing documents in our world are loans. These cuneiform documents allow us to understand <coughs> the interest rates these people were charging on people to pay for taxes. Uh, so to a degree, the innovation in finance has been very much linked to the innovation of the world. <coughs> you have the Rialto Bridge in, in Venezia to my right. In that bridge, the bond market was created in 1268. The development of Western European economies is very much linked to the development of finance and bonds. <clears throat> so what you're seeing today in terms of fintech is nothing new. It's the continuation of this trend of linking innovation and finance. So the first electronic trading was created in 1971, the NASDAQ. As you know, that year, the gold standard was also abandoned provisionally that summer. And, and to a degree, uh, countries which have been allowing finance to penetrate, especially in rural areas, are countries which have been able to eradicate poverty. Spain, which is my country, had plenty of poverty in the 19th century in places outside the big cities. And the development of rural banks, development of savings banks, was critical to understand the eradication of poverty. So to a degree, the innovation in finance and development in finance, financial inclusion can help a lot. Economic development and economic growth. Why this is not happening uh, faster enough? 
because you had a huge transaction cost. It is extremely costly to open branches in rural areas. Uh, and this has prevented financial inclusion for having a complete development. Now today this is over, because today we have a new branch, which is the mobile phone. This allows you to open accounts, to make loans, and to make your deposits. And this is the big opportunity I'm gonna be talking in a minute. So which are the new technologies that explain the revolution in FinTech? Of course, internet, there is 7.3 billion people living in the world, four billion are connected to the internet. E-commerce, 2.8 billion people are buying goods and services through uh, e-commerce, namely in China, India, and Brazil. So these three countries are the top three countries in FinTech in the world. There is a huge interrelation between FinTech and e-commerce. Smartphones. There is three billion people in the world with the smartphones. Smartphones are the new branch to make finance. And this is gonna be the critical instrument for development of financial inclusion. Artificial intelligence. Today when you ask for a loan to a machine such as a phone, it is not a credit officer who's saying yes or no. It's an algorithm based on artificial intelligence. And finally, blockchain which, as you know, is a technology that allows uh, the registering of goods. Uh, hence, this would uh, be a mechanism that would allow the enhancement of loans. In the meantime, you used to have a huge trust in banks. So it was very difficult for a new company, a fintech company, to, to enter into this sector. What has happened? Following the crisis of, of, of the crisis of the Western banking system, the degree of trust of citizens in their banks came down aggressively from 60% up to 20%. So today, people do not trust banks as much as in the past. And this has opened an opportunity for new entrants in FinTech and to seize this opportunity. Second, there is new regulations. I don't know to which degree you are familiar with PSD2. It's the new regulation that is going to be applied in Europe on the 1st of January. This is a mobile phone in which you will be able with technology to integrate all your bank accounts, all your loans, all your deposits, all your insurance, and immediately the system will be able to uh, suggest you whether you change your money from this bank into this one, which is gonna be offering you a better rate, whether you charge, change your loan from this one into this one, because the cost is going to be lower. So technology and regulation are facilitating uh, or reducing barriers to entry and creating this big opportunity for FinTech. In the meantime, a few years ago, it was very hard for us to, to make finance transactions without uh, a physical reality. Today, there is a, a large percentage of finance happening with the mobile phone. Uh, as you can see there, in the UK, 87% of uh, financial transactions happen with the mobile phone. So technology today allows uh, finance to enter in every household in a world in which finance uh, doesn't have the barriers to entry it used to have. So you have here the FinTech revolution, Good companies, nice companies created in the 80s, in the 20th thousand as well, following the emergence of the, of the internet. But it has been since the financial crisis, since 2008, when there has been a huge revolution in terms of finance and fintech. Why? Again, because trust in traditional banks came down and technology had a huge disruption. At this point, plenty of opportunities have arisen. So to conclude, on the first section, why do we have this fintech revolution? First, we have this historical connection between finance and innovation. Second, we have uh, new technologies that are erupting today. 
blockchain, artificial intelligence, e-commerce, mobile phones, internet. Third, barriers to entry came down aggressively since the crisis. Fourth, there is new regulations that are favoring the adoption of fintech. And finally, millennials are coming to the power. Millennials are happy to do their business, to do their finance with mobile phones. Having analyzed these uh, reasons why fintech is uh, having this revolution, let's understand how fintech is disrupting traditional sectors. This is Alibaba fintech subsidiary, Ant. I mentioned at the beginning, this company is worth $150 billion. This company did not exist four years ago. Now, when you open your mobile phone with Ant, you can see that uh, in one click, you can deposit your money. There is a digital wallet. On another click, you can use your money to your advantage and to put it in a monetary fund, Yuebao. Now, this monetary fund has $250 billion. The largest monetary fund in the world up to now was JP Morgan's monetary fund with $150 billion. So, so today, this is the largest monetary fund in the world by far. Third, you can make payments. In China, you don't need a credit card. You have your restaurant receipt. You use the QR and you pay through your Alibaba and your aunt account. You can ask for a loan immediately. And as the system knows about you, you are a client, they know they have your information. Immediately, the system says yes or no. If they say yes, in one second, you have your remimbis in your account. And you can make other things, such as asking for a taxi. This is fintech today happening in the largest market in fintech in the world, which is China. Let's, let's, let's try to understand the different drivers behind this. Banking is about deposits, payments, and loans. Also, banking is about other issues such as uh, robo-advising, which is private banking, and algorithmic trading. So let, let's understand the, both worlds, retail banking as well as asset management. Deposits. This bank is called Marcus. This is a bank launched by Goldman Sachs two years ago in the United States. It was deployed this year in the UK. It's now coming into Germany and into Spain. Now, you download this app in your phone, and immediately you can get 2% return, which is impossible to get in Europe today. Goldman Sachs is offering you no, no uh, branches. And because they don't have any branches, they can offer you these amazing uh, returns. So this company has been able to, uh, in a few months, just to get $20 billion. This company is also offering mortgages. Again, only with one technology, which is the mobile phone and artificial intelligence. Payments. I don't know if you're familiar with this company, Revolut. I have a Revolut credit account. When you, when you come to Spain and uh, you go to have dinner in Marbella, for instance, uh, immediately the cost of your dinner in euros gets translated into reals, and your bank is going to charge you a 3% fee without you noticing it. It goes into your Forex translation. Okay. Now, this company, Revolut, allows you to, down, to download the app. You ask for this visa. You pay $5. And when you pay all around the world with this visa, you don't get any commissions in the Forex. So plenty of young people and millennials today, when they travel around the world, they always pay with Revolut. And they get the money from the cash machines with Revolut, 0% commissions. So the most profitable segment of the banking sector, which is payments, is now under threat because of these uh, fintech companies such as Revolut. Payments. This is India. As you know, 86% of the money and the cash in India has been abolished under President Modi. 
uh, a year, uh, Prime Minister Modi a year and a half ago. So the Indians have developed uh, a very advanced technology called UPI. Today, you can send money to your friends, to your parents, to your colleagues using the mobile phone uh, through a banking technology that is using the, the mobile phone as, as a background to make transferences without the need to go to traditional branches. Uh, also, uh, this uh, has been the reason why Mr. Warren Buffett has invested $200 million in the payment, um, in the payment sector in India. Lending. This company, the Lending Club, is listed in the U.S. market. It's worth $3 billion. This is the amount of loans that have been intermediated through this platform. It uses artificial intelligence, it detects loan opportunities, and it offers them to investors. This is called the P2P world. Plenty of new ventures trying to uh, do the kind of work that used to be done by banks in the past. Robo-advisors. Do you prefer your wealth being advised by a human or by a robot? You have arguments in both sides. But, but guess, guess what? Humans have plenty of conflicts of interest. If you go to uh, your private bank, is Merrill Lynch, they will have a bias towards advising you to buy an asset management product of Merrill Lynch. A robot doesn't have that bias. And second, human beings tend to be coward when people are coward and brave when people are brave. But if you want to make money in your, in your life, you want, to need, you want to be brave when people are coward and you want to be coward when people are brave. Robots don't have any behavioral uh, bias, as humans do. So there is plenty of robo-advisors today. Uh, they are already advising $300 billion. You just put your uh, risk preferences, and immediately the robot is going to suggest the asset allocation, what funds you must be buying, and which funds you must be selling. Big threat for the private banking industry. What about if you want to invest in the stock market? Uh, do you prefer a human taking decisions in buying or selling stock of Walmart? Or do you prefer a robot looking at satellite images of the parking of Walmart, understand how many cars are parked, and based on that, derive through data whether if there is more people parked there, there is good sales in Walmart, hence good profits coming. Who do you think is going to do a better trade decision? Well, this is the new trend, algorithmic trading, quantitative strategies, new trends in asset management. You want robots using big amounts of data to take investment decisions. You don't want humans. Big threat for this industry. And of course, the development of cryptocurrencies have also allowed companies to use the initial currency offerings as a way to finance uh, different ventures. Uh, all to all, what you have is a big revolution in uh, the fintech sector with new entrants uh, trying to compete on the most profitable segments of the banking sector, deposits, payments, as well as loans. And this revolution is not linked to commercial banking. It is also impacting other big fields of finance, such as asset management and such as private banking. Now, having understood why this fintech revolution is happening and how it is being impacting the uh, financial sector, let's look into the third point, which is the relationship between fintech and growth. First idea, which are the most advanced societies in fintech? It's not the UK, it's not the US, it's not Germany, it's not Spain. It's China, it's India, and it's Brazil. Again, large countries with plenty of population, not very much linked to a few cities. For them, it's critical to have access to finance. Uh, as it is not cheap, 
and it's not easy to buy, they use e-commerce. When you use e-commerce, it's very easy to migrate clients into finance. Because when you use e-commerce, you want to have your digital wallet. When you have your digital wallet, it's easy to give you a loan. When you can get a loan, you can do all the transactions to the mobile phone. So this is a big opportunity for countries with uh, not a plenty of financial tradition to be at the forefront of, of fintech. Again, non-Western countries are today at the forefront of fintech technologies. How can we move this into growth? Now, this is a poor guy in China. He's asking for your, for your help. He's not asking for a coins. He, he, he has a mobile phone with a QR. Uh, and, and you can just use your QR and your uh, aunt uh, digital wallet to give him a few dollars. So even beggars in China are using the mo mobile phones. Uh, and I think this is telling you what's, what's happening with the fintech revolution. Big portion of deposits are now cashless, moving into digital wallets. And this has plenty of consequences for societies, because the less and the, the use of cash you have in GDP, the lower the uh, penetration of the underground economy, which means that the tax collations go up which means that you can develop a social welfare. So there is plenty of interconnections between fintech and economic development. To understand where we come from, as you know, we had a huge success in terms of economic growth uh, in the last 40 years. Probably today we have the best of the world in terms of economic growth. Uh, and also human development has been on the rise. Uh, any elements you want to look in sociology in the world today in terms of uh, people uh, getting access to uh, uh, reading and writing, mortality rates in between children, etc., etc., we are at the best times of societies. But there is still plenty of things to be done and there is big barriers to entry. One was finance and financial inclusion. Today we have the tool to uh, achieve this or to overcome this barrier, which is fintech. So why fintech is critical? On one hand, if you, if you uh, introduce finance into populations in general, uh, you allow for people to move their deposits into the financial system. Once the deposits have entered into the financial systems, you can lend. Once you lend, you have economic growth. So there is a huge interrelation between financial inclusion and economic growth, and there is plenty of academic research supporting, uh, supporting this. On the other hand, there is plenty of relationship between introduction of finance and the degree of development. Inequality goes down directly related to introduction of finance. There is less corruption and there is less underground economy, which is good <clears throat> for the government because you can uh, make more taxes, which at the end is good for developing a social welfare. So in general, there is a huge uh, linear relationship between introduction of finance, uh, economic growth and human development. So you can have situations in which people living in rural areas, because the cost of attending them in finance is very high, they are not able to put their money uh, into uh, deposits, which uh, discourages uh, financial institutions for using these deposits into lending. And this obviously has a negative impact in terms of growth uh, and the development of the economy. Now, what's changing? What's the reason why it's very hard to bring finance into these people? Uh, is the cost of transaction. I just came from, from a fintech co uh, congress in, in Accra, in Ghana, uh, and obviously you have plenty of population in Accra, but a big portion of population lives in rural areas. There is no way that you can make profitable a branch in the rural areas of, of Ghana. 
so this makes this vicious circle that people are not able to put their deposits into the financial system, hence this money is not put for economic growth. Now, how can you break down this problem using fintech? Because through fintech, it's much easier now to be able to put your deposits into a mobile phone through a digital wallet in a well-trusted company. And through that, it's easier that this company is able to put this money into working, such as um, Marcus, the subsidiary of Goldman Sachs. And by increasing the amount of finance into the economy, you can enhance GDP growth. Now, what is the big, the big gap here? What I've shown you here is data by the World Bank. And what you see is that, uh, uh, in general, 69% uh, of people have access to, uh, to finance, to bank services. Uh, in OECD, it's 94%. But there is big gaps. In the Middle East, as you see, uh, only 14% of people, according to the World Bank, have access to full service in terms of uh, finance, okay? which is obviously a very low, a very low percentage. Uh, and let's let, look at this. New data from the World Bank. You see in this uh, graph to my left where the uh, access to a bank account is low, which means uh, color close to red, and where access to a bank account is high, color close to, to blue. And to my right is people which have access to a mobile phone, blue is high, red is low. So there is this gap, especially in the Middle East, between access to mobile phones uh, versus access to uh, financial accounts. And this gap, is the big opportunity. Because if we are able to convert uh, a big portion of these people which are unbanked into people who are banked, immediately you should experience economic growth. I'm not talking <clears throat> only about uh, retail people. I'm talking about SMEs. According to the World Bank, there is 1.8 billion people without a bank account in the world. There is 200 million SMEs without access to finance. So which would be the consequences if we are able to mobilize this uh, through finance and through fintech? But according to McKinsey, there is $3.7 trillion of uh, further GDP to be gained before 2025 by being able to close this gap between the introduction of, of fintech and the introduction of, of uh, financial inclusion. This is like doubling the GDP of Africa. So there is a big opportunity in these countries with a high penetration of, of mobile phones, low penetration of finance. Uh, according to McKinsey, again, 95 million of new jobs could be created. Another idea, what you have here is a picture of Mr. Hernando de Soto. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was a, a very famous developer, an economic reformer in Peru. He had a, an insight. Poor people don't have access to finance, and part of the reason is because they don't have a register in which they can show their own assets. If you don't have a register, it's very difficult to get access to bank finance. So he made a revolution by uh, easing all the, all the red carpet so that poor people were able to register their goods. And through that, banks started to lend people to poor people, and through that, they were able to set up their own small businesses. Now, uh, extreme poverty in Peru at that time, 1988, was 65%. After this reform, it went down to 15%. A good example on how if you give opportunities to people through finance immediately, then you can uh, uh, improve economic growth. Now, let's think about the following. Today, we have blockchain. Can we use blockchain as a way to ease and to facilitate the registering of goods by people who don't have, have access to finance? If that is the case, then this experiment in Peru could be a global experiment, and this could have plenty of good consequences. Because when people leave lower class and enter into the middle class, this means plenty of consumption, and consumption, as you know, is one of the main drivers in economic development. 
The same happens with uh, microcredits. This is Mohamed Yunus, the founder of microfinance uh, who, from Bangladesh. A strong correlation between uh, financial inclusion and economic development. By economic development, I mean less uh, gender inequality, less income inequality, more freedom to take choices. Uh, uh, today, the big, the big threat and the big uh, break you have on microfinance and financial inclusion is the cost of doing business, transaction cost because it's very, very costly to move uh, finance officers into rural areas. This is gone. Today, with FinTech, we are able to take financial inclusion in rural areas at very cheap transaction costs. And we can, uh, uh, at the end, have a huge impact with the financial inclusion situation. Uses cash. You can see here how much cash represents as a percentage of GDP. <clears throat> so you have on the top Swiss 5%. My country, Spain, is the worst in Europe, 29%. It's, it's not a mystery that Spain has an underground economy of 19 points of GDP, whereas Swiss, Switzerland has an underground economy of less than eight points. Now, if, if Spain is able to uh, introduce fintech mechanisms so that cash gets down, the underground economy goes down to the average in the West, which is 10 points. This means that the country can collect four points more as a percentage of GDP. And then we can pay for the pensions, we can pay for the army, and we can pay for the foreign service. Uh, this is critical because the technological revolution is not only a question of creating value as the owner of, of Ant. Uh, it has plenty of policy-making considerations uh, that uh, I think should be discussed because part of the big challenge between emerging markets is how we are able to increase the collection base to be, be able to finance education, healthcare, and pensions. This might be one line to, to do some research about. I don't know if you heard also about the possibility that central banks, some in your case, issues uh, digital currencies. Now, this is being discussed in monetary policy. So as you know, you, ca you have cash, which is physical uh, and uh, is universal, it gets to us, but reserves is a way of creating money that is restricted to banks and is digital. Now, what's being discussed is the possibility of central banks issuing cryptocurrencies that can be sent directly into citizens. Uh, which would, in a way, facilitate the implementation of monetary policy. Uh, so there is plenty of discussion to which agree this could be a good idea. Uh, and there is pros and cons. In general, uh, if the central bank was to expand the monetary base through this mechanism, you don't rely today on commercial banks, which is good. Uh, it would reduce the use of cash, which is good for our country, because then the underground economy would go down. But it, there is one problem. If you have a financial crisis, in a country, immediately all of us, all the citizens, will rush to put all our savings into the central bank current account. And this could produce a financial crisis in the rest of the sector, so this is something to be studied, uh, the, how to overcome this risk. Also, think about the big tech companies entering into finance. Amazon today is lending money to SMEs, which are not served by traditional American banks. Amazon is opening current accounts to Americans which are underbanked. There is already 8 million Americans with current accounts in Amazon. And the big tech guys, Google, Amazon, Facebook, are the guys that are a big threat into the financial sector. The last consideration here is uh, Kenya. Now, Kenya 
is a country which had these problems of lack of access to finance opportunities, uh, plenty of deposits which were not in the financial system, very expensive to make finance business with the Kenyans because of the rural situation. So you had this business called M-Pesa, which allowed people to mobilize their savings through SMS. Through SMS in your mobile phone, you're able to open a credit account, a bank account, and you can put your savings there. And through that, M-Pesa has been able to give plenty of, of loans. Uh, the reduction in uh, poverty in, in females uh, was 22%. And this has been done using a basic technology, mobile phones, and just uh, the use of, of SMS. So which are the conclusions? First, what we have seen in our world is how there is a huge interconnection between finance and innovation. Now, this interconnection is now leaving a huge disruption, a huge revolution. Why? Because we never had all this huge level of data uh, on the web. And this level of data with a huge computing power and through algorithms can be treated. And this can be used to the uh, advantage of finance. This can be used to the advantage of loans and deposits and payments. Today, you can have your bank account in your mobile phone, your digital wallet, your payment methodology. You could have uh, loans immediately dispatched in your mobile phone. So what this means is a big opportunity for financial inclusion. And financial inclusion, as I expressed, is very much linked to financial development and to economic progress. So uh, to a degree, if we are able to identify those societies where there is a high digital population, penetration of mobile phones, and a low penetration of finance, this is the opportunity. So that by introducing fintech technologies, we can uh, fasten economic growth. And through that, we can have a collective success. Let me finish with this slide which disappeared from the World Bank, there were 1.8 billion people living in extreme poverty. In 1990, there is only 0.8 billion living today in extreme poverty. 40 million people live extreme poverty every year. Uh, through FinTech, we can accelerate this trend, and hopefully by 2030, extreme poverty will be over, and this will be done because of technology. And that's it. Shukran. Thank you very much.